about you, but this afternoon I was freezing. I was in the house and contemplating putting the heating on and all of that kind of thing. Liz quite rightly said, no, that's not something we do in September. Um, you know, but it's been freezing and it has got that autumn feel, hasn't it? It's lovely seeing some faces returning. Another symbol again that autumn is truly upon us and we're going to be losing some people as well as they go off to university and we're going to be praying for those guys in a bit as they go off. But for those of you who may be returning and haven't been with us for a few weeks or a good few months if you're a student, um, we've been going through the series of Joseph, or I should say the saga of Joseph. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream court, if you will. We have and we are looking at the story of him. And we began a few weeks ago when Joseph had all his dreams and his brothers didn't like it and gave him a good shoe-in and sold him into slavery. And well, last week we had what you might call a little bit of a diversion from that story as you went to Judah and his shenanigans for a week. And some, well, silly things that he did. And if you weren't there, bless you, you missed out on something there, but go and read the previous chapter and you'll know what I'm on about. And this week... We get to Joseph once again. We return to the main saga of his life and what happened to him after he was sold into slavery. And really, what he did to deal with dreams that were dying. Now, some time has passed since Joseph had his dreams and shared them with his brothers. But those dreams really spoke of greatness and that he would be a great man, an awesome man. How they would have felt wiped away as he was a slave. How they would have felt wiped away as he worked as a servant. How they would have felt dismissed as at the end of this he was put into prison. But Joseph had a remarkable response to all of that. And even though this story is depressing, and even though this story is full of injustice, and even though this story doesn't even end very happily at all, we can still see God very much at work in it. And the big question, I guess, to answer today of how do you deal with dying dreams? How do you deal with life when it doesn't feel like it's going your way? How do you deal with things they don't pan out in the way you want them to do? Well, Let's just look at Joseph as an example. So as we say, Joseph is a slave. But here's a peculiar quirk in this reading. He had a pretty cushy gig as a slave. He was working the house of Potiphar. Now if you know anything of Egyptian history, and I confess I'm no expert, when you think of a slave, this is one of the kind of gig that they got. They were normally out in the sand building pyramids or sphinxes or whatever else there was, being whipped and all the rest of it. By contrast, Joseph had truly landed on his feet. He was in the home of a rich man and he was the attendant. Was it ideal? No. Would he have dreamt of being back in Canaan with his father and his brothers? Of course he would have. But it really could have been a lot worse. In fact, it was very good. And we could be questioning how it was that Joseph himself landed in such a plumb position. Well, I guess to start off with, we can look at his breeding. Joseph was a good lad. He came from a good family. 
He came from a money family and it was probably clear very early on when he was sold into slavery that he had a bit of something about him. He could hold a sentence together. He could tie his shoelaces or whatever. He knew what he was doing. He knew the difference between red and white wine, whatever it was, but he had something going on. He came from this family background and they were aristocrats back in Canaan. So that was picked up on pretty early. He wasn't really that great, perhaps, for building pyramids, but he would have been great for working as a farmer, or in this case, serving in a grand household. But that's only how he got his foot in the door. What about rising up the ladder in that household? Because he rose all the way to the top. He wasn't just a slave in that household. He wasn't even just a servant. He was the top dog. He was the butler. He was that dude from Downton Abbey. He was the man who was running the show. How on earth did this lad from Canaan, not an Egyptian mind, a lad from Canaan, end up in this situation? And the clue that we get is in Potiphar himself. We read how Potiphar saw something about Joseph. We saw that, if you like, fortune and prosperity seemed to be upon him. The decisions he made were really good. And for ancient Egyptians, this was an utterly fascinating concept. Because ancient Egyptians were obsessed with gods. They were obsessed with spirituality. And they were obsessed with the idea of a person having God at work in them. When Potiphar saw Joseph and he saw the good things he was doing, the good thing he was able to do, he wasn't just thinking, here's a talented, good-looking boy who could serve my household well. He thought he could see God at work. And when we break that down for a moment, that is an awesome concept. He looked at Joseph and he could see God at work in him. And when we think of the age that they were living in, they didn't know about the one true God. Of course, they didn't know about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They lived in an age of plural gods and couldn't understand it. There was spirituality, yes. But here, they were able to discern these people who didn't understand religion, that there was something special. There was something God-like going on. There was something amazing in him, and it was transparent. This guy who was a slave, this guy in the eyes of Egypt at least was nothing, had God at work in him. And for that reason, Potiphar wanted to be around him. He wanted to have him close, and he wanted to elevate him. Now let's go forward a good few thousand years, and let's go to a town called Bethlehem and let's see a baby who was born there let's scoot forward a few miles again to a village called Nazareth and we see this man Jesus he was one from a humble background he was one who had nothing going on he was one who perhaps didn't have a grand education but people saw something about him people saw God at work in him. If we believe the prophet Isaiah who prophesied about the coming Messiah, we would see that Jesus had no form of comeliness. There was nothing attractive about him. In other words, he wasn't a good looking boy. 
He wasn't a naturally charming boy, perhaps, but there was something godlike going on. How awesome was his power that in days of mass, no mass communication, he was able to draw 5,000 people for a packed lunch and a picnic. He had all of that going on. Jesus did it because people could see God at work in him. Just as Potiphar could see God at work in Joseph. And what an amazing thing that would be for people to say about us today. I can see God at work in them. And when we really think about it, we have a lot in common in this age with the age of ancient Egypt. All right, I'm not strutting about in one of them skirts or I'm not, you know, doing one of them. I'm not obsessed with cats or anything or Pete Bunting is, so there you go. But we live in an age that you could say is spiritual. People are fascinated by spirituality. Just have a strut around town and you can see shops dedicated to crystals and the occult and other things. People want to know things that are spiritual and they're interested in things spiritual and they want to observe things that are spiritual. They want to see spiritual and really, perhaps what is going on, people are searching. In the same way the Potiphar was searching for something spiritual, these people today are searching for something spiritual. The question is, where do they see it? And the answer very simply is, and it should be, in us. When people are looking in the world for something that would change their lives, when they're searching for something, they should see Christ at work in us. They should look at our eyes. They should look at our actions. They should look at our words and say, yes, this is a person who has got something about them. Yes, this is a person who has Christ in them. This is the one who is anointed by Christ. Just as Potiphar was anointed by God, and just as Christ himself was anointed by the Father, we should have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on us that people can see Christ at work in us. When I was about 22, 23 years old, I was out with some dinner with some friends, and as happens, a mutual friend came and joined and this guy looked at me very dismissively and said, oh, you're a Christian, are you? And then he proceeded to make fun of me a bit. And I always remember it because no one else had ever seen that in me. He just looked at me and thought, you're a Christian. Whatever it was going on that day, he could see it. And today, as I was thinking about that, I questioned if I took this dog collar off and I walked around the street if people would say the same thing about me. Perhaps my actions don't hold up like they did in those days but we had a conversation about what it meant to be a Christian what it meant to have faith a conversation which actually still continues to this very day people want to see Christ at work people want to see Jesus at work in us and certainly when people see God's church at work they want to see something that's different they want to see something holy and they want to see something that sets us apart. In this age that is seeking, people want to see Christ and they want to see Christ in us. And we need to have and need to seek the anointing of Christ upon us. 
And that goes for what we do while we gather together for worship. But it's even more important with what we do outside of this place. When we go out into our days, when we go out into this week, will people see Jesus at work in us? Will people recognize Potiphar, as Potiphar recognized in Joseph, God in us? And will that lead to a fascination to explore more what that means? Joseph had it. And he had it in abundance. Not that it did him any favours. Because though Potiphar, of course, thought he was a good man, his wife also thought he was a good man, but in a very, very different way. And she had certain other aspirations of what to do with him. And I think there's something quite deep in all of this. You've got a man who's searching And you've got somebody who also can see God at work and wants to bring that down. One of the reasons maybe why Potiphar's wife was so obsessed with Joseph might not have just been his rugged good looks, but the want to knock that anointing out of him. For whatever reason, we don't know. She might not have understood it. She might not have got how he'd elevated to this position. We don't know. But... There certainly seems to be a case to say that she wanted to knock him down a peg or two and knock a little bit of that anointing out of him. And she made it her duty to do it. She literally chased him and put him in situations so that he would indeed be brought down. And your heart can't help but go out for him. Poor Joseph. He had only sought to do the right thing. He'd only sought to do the right thing by God. He'd only sought to worship the Lord and do what was right by him, represent God on earth. But it led him into this situation where he himself was locked up. But of course, that in itself also reminds us of Jesus. What did Jesus do wrong? Nothing. Who did Jesus hurt? No one. Who did Jesus betray? No one. He had an anointing upon him and people didn't understand that anointing. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious elite, the priests, the Levites, they didn't get it. And so what did they want to do? Like Potiphar's wife, they sought to engineer a way to bring him down. And... When they saw him on the cross, they really thought that they succeeded in that mission. It's amazing when you read through the Gospels, Jesus never promises once that people would be brilliant for being a follower of him. He never once says to people, your life is going to be so much better if you follow me. He never says to people, you're going to be richer if you follow me. He never says to people, you're going to be happier if you follow me. He never says to people, you're going to have the family of your dreams if you follow me. He never says all your dreams will come true if you follow me. In fact, on occasion, he almost seems to persuade people not to follow him. Think of the rich young man. He really wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus kept telling him things he had to do 
Go and sell all your possessions, mate. I don't want to do that. Fair enough, then. Catch you later. Jesus didn't promise anything like that. He made it clear from the start that the life of following him at times could be hard and in an earthly sense, really difficult. And in the history of the church, perhaps, we've kind of confused this message so much and even at times kind of lied a bit to tell people that if you follow Jesus, you can have it all. But that's not what Jesus said. And in fact, Jesus gave warning upon warning upon warning to those who would seek to follow him that bad times would come their way. And this is exactly what happened to Joseph thousands of years before. Because he followed the Lord, because he was faithful to the Lord, bad things came his way. It's not easy being a follower of Christ sometimes. And I'll put my hands up and say that. I love my job. And I can never imagine doing another job. I love the Lord. And I can never imagine not wanting to love the Lord. But I'll also admit at times it can be hard. If you ever go on the Church in Wales website and you do a search for clergy, you'll see that my name isn't on there. Um, you'll have Mark, you'll have Liz, you'll have Becky, you'll have Robert. Soon you'll have Elaine, but my name's not there. We've tried really hard since we moved to Albrister to chuck me back on there, but that hasn't happened yet. Basically, I was taken off because when we were in our parish in South Wales, in a public meeting, I'd said something about my faith. And the next day, I started getting letters and abuse and all manner of things. I gave what I believed to be a kingdom value, a gospel value, and it came back to bite me quite badly. And it came clear that I was in some kind of danger, my family in some kind of danger. And so the church in Wales made a decision to take me off the list. A few years before, one of the priests in next door parish had literally been killed for being a priest. And everyone was on tender hooks. The chances are this could have all come to nothing. But for me, I innocently said in a meeting, this is what I believe. And it came back in a bad way. There are people in the world who will seek to hurt us. There are people in the world who will seek to trip us up. There are people in the world who want to see us fall. A good friend of mine, while he was in university, hated the CU so much, he hated Christians so much, that he would derive pleasure from winding them up so much that they would snap and get angry. It's the reality of being a follower of Christ. These things happen. There is no guarantee of things going our way. And Joseph, bless him, absolutely knew that. Joseph saw what happened while his wife sought to engineer a situation where he would end up in prison because he was just too good. He got into that place. Just imagine being Joseph then, sat in a prison cell, remembering your dreams, remembering those days in Canaan, remembering what you thought when you said to your father, one day all these will bow down before me. 
he must have felt completely gutted and absolutely devastated by it all. And when he thought, actually, I didn't deserve this, I didn't do anything wrong, it would have made it all the more worse. And we have to be honest with ourselves throughout the world on this thing, persecution. What I faced was nothing. Every three and a half minutes in this world, a Christian is killed for their faith in Christ. People in other nations are persecuted because they did what Joseph did. They did what Jesus did, and they are faithful to Christ. And sometimes in our Western world, we can really think, and I've got to be honest, I've thought, eh, why? Why don't you just do it in secret? Why don't you just hide away? Why do you tell the world that you believe in Jesus in a place where it will see you dead? But our anointing upon them is so strong and powerful that all they can do is proclaim the name of Jesus. Joseph proclaimed the Lord and he ended up imprisoned for it. But it's in that prison scene that the hope comes through once again. Because it's here that we read that the Lord's favour was still upon him. And as the Lord's favour was still upon him, the Lord sent him all that he needed at that time. And I reckon that that verse is utterly, utterly amazing. Even though he was in the worst place, he still knew that the Lord was with him. And the Lord sent people to be around him that would help him. Even though he was in prison, he was all right in prison. Would he have chosen to be somewhere else? Of course. But he had favor upon him. And it's really amazing sometimes when the worst things happen, how we can feel the Lord upon us. When the terrible things happen, we can really feel God's presence. And sometimes in the worst of times, we can feel closer to God than ever. I've spent a bit of time in hospital over my years and in my life. And I find hospitals fascinating because they just feel like spiritual places. I've had nights in hospital where I've been there in my hideous dressing gown speaking to other people and everyone wanted to talk about Jesus. Everyone wanted to talk about issues of faith. I've been there where the nerves should be jangling but God's peace just coming over. In this place where there are no trophies, in this place where there are no status, the place where there is nothing else, just the vulnerabilities of being a human being, and in that place where you feel God at work. You can apply the same thing to grief. When we feel a sense of grief, which so many people across this nation have felt over this last week, you feel grief and people come together. You feel grief and there's a unity in it all. You feel grief and you see humanity come good. I'm not the kind of person who would queue up for 14 hours in Westminster. But I find it startling, amazing, and blinking brilliant that you will have people of all classes, all races, all nations queuing up together 
the rich, the poor, the celebrity, the not famous, stood together because the collective grief has acted as a leveler for all people. And in that place, we can feel God at work. When there is nothing else, the Lord is there at work. And I believe, I think, that the Lord has been at work across the nation in this last week, inspiring people to have conversations about faith. In a time of national mourning, God has clearly been at work. In times of pain and distress, God is at work. When we suffer like Joseph suffered, God is at work and his favour is still upon us. And really, even though it's a depressing way to end this particular chapter, it's the most hopeful thing of all. Because this is the lowest that Joseph gets in this whole story. This is the lowest he gets in the saga. From here, everything starts going up again and starts getting a bit better. But here's the place where we read that the favor of the Lord was upon him. When he was imprisoned, when he was in the dungeon, when everything was going wrong, the Lord was there. The Lord was upon him. And it's the same for us as well. When we feel that everything's going wrong, when we feel like our dreams are dying, when we feel like the crises of the world are overcoming us, it can be so easy to think in our human selves that we've been forsaken by God. But we are not. We are never left by him. And he is with us at all times. In those good times, in the bad times, and the in-between times. The Lord is with us all. And really, that's why we are here today. Because we know it. We are here this evening because we want to be filled with God's spirit afresh. We want that anointing. We want what Joseph had. And we want to share it as well. We want people to see that anointing in us. We want people like Potiphar to question, what have you got going on? And really, if we're honest, can I have a little bit as well? We want it, even though there are people who will hate us for having it. We want it, despite the negativity that can come. And we want it because that's what Jesus did. And we want to follow Jesus in every way. And we want it because we know the Lord is with us at all times. And the Lord is with us now. And the Lord is with us this evening. And I just want to encourage all of us this evening, whatever we are going through, and especially those of us who feel perhaps that life hasn't gone the way we want it to go, or our dreams have not come true, or we've done what we wanted to do in life and, well, it hasn't matched up to expectations, or we're anxious about what the next day is facing or the next week is facing, or we are struggling with our health and our mental health and we feel imprisoned in some way, the Lord is absolutely with us. That was why we praise him. That is why we worship him. And that is why we are here. Let us keep praising the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless us. And may all the world come to acknowledge him. Amen.
So let's pray. Father God, we do give thanks to you for the gift of life which you breathe into us all. We give thanks that we are here this evening and we give thanks that you love us more than we will ever know. And Lord, we pray that this evening we would feel a special touch and anointing through you. And we pray that you would bless each and every one of us with the power of your spirit. We pray that your spirit would come and rest upon us. And we pray that your spirit would anoint us. We pray that however old we are, whatever our background, whatever our income, and whatever we have or don't have, we would feel united in that blessing today. We pray that your spirit would bless us now. And we pray that in this evening, when we see each other, we would see you at work. We pray that as we leave this place, we would see you at work. We pray that as we go into this week, people would see you at work in us. And then seeing you at work in us would come to acknowledge you. We pray, Lord, that we would really know what it is to follow you. And we would follow you as your true disciples, growing in holiness, growing in truth, growing in righteousness, and growing totally in your ways. We pray, loving God, that we will be strengthened by you when difficulties come our way and we would hold on to you and that we would turn to you. We pray that you would touch us now if we are struggling and you would help us now. And we pray, Lord, that we would know your favor upon us. As Joseph knew the favor that was upon him in that prison cell, we would know your favor as well. And I pray this evening, Lord, that each and every one of us would truly know what it is to be favored by you. We would know what it is to be truly loved by you. And you would come and draw close to us. And we pray that, Lord, for those students who are about to leave us. We pray it, Lord, for those who are coming to us. We pray for it as we move across the world. We pray for those who might join us tomorrow. As as a nation, we join in grief and celebration of the life of Queen Elizabeth. We pray it, Lord, over all that we do. So come to us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. <laughs>